You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 320 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with artist, puppeteer, and activist John Bromberg. We also have an EW essay titled Graduation and an original radio play written specifically for us by our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, titled Girl at Bar, performed by Marnie Azzarelli. And we have a poem titled Power. We also, as is always the case, imbue infuse all of this with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. Let's get to it. Episode 320 of Troubadours and Tours. Graduation. Commuter train from the beautifully landscaped burbs, stopping at one outpost to the next. As we get closer to the big city, the stops and scenery become less beautiful. Good people, I am certain, live there. Many. 
What opportunities? What sense of access to any opportunity? My sense of the plight and blight is surely questionable. Am I a guilt-driven, middle-class, bleeding-heart, condescending fellow citizen? One who talks the walk, though does not walk the talk? One who has the talk all wrong from the start? I went to my eldest son's graduation from a relatively prestigious university. A great experience and education that has left us both with significant financial debt to pay off for the otherwise priceless knowledge and insight he has earned. As I returned to the suburban train station from the big city after the pomp and celebration of his graduation, my wife sleeping with her head on my shoulder and with her hand in mine. We sat next to a young girl of color. She looked out the window as we moved up the track from outpost to outpost during rush hour among all the working people going home after a day seeking something. I wondered what this young girl was thinking, which stop she would get off. I thought it would have been one of the poor-looking towns. She got off with my wife and me at the nice station in the wealthier town. Don't you know Talking about a revolution Sounds Don't you know Talking about a revolution It sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know Talking about a revolution Gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 But a revolution Yes, finally the tables are starting to turn Talking about a revolution Oh, no Talking about a revolution Oh, while they're standing in the welfare lines Crying the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for Talking about a revolution, oh no Talking about a revolution 
Hello, John Bromberg. Is that you? Hey, Larry, the mathematician. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I recognize your voice. Oh, thanks. Thanks for answering the phone and for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, sir. Oh, is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Before we, we get started, let me share a little bit of background information, if you don't mind. Okay. I found this uh, this piece of paper that says, John Bromberg of Lakewood, PA, is a sculptor, performing artist, and puppeteer whose performance pieces are a fusion of sculpture and theater. A graduate of Pratt Institute of Fine Arts, Bromberg has apprenticed with Robert Rome and Wallace Black Elk. The subject of numerous solo shows, John has also been represented in group shows in New York and Pennsylvania. His work has been recognized through various grants and awards, including the F. Lamont Bellin Award, the New Forms Regional Grant, John J. Humphrey Award, Monroe County Arts Council, the Pennsylvania Council, the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Andy Warhol Foundation. He is the founder of the Aglamata Neurospasta Theater Ensemble. What the heck does that mean? I'm not sure. Maybe we'll get to it. <laughs> so, All right. Wow, that pretty much covers it. I guess we don't have anything to talk about. It's nice having you on the program. Take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a jewel, Larry. <laughs> you are. You are. I wish so. you would. I wish you would uh, manage the sunny day, though. You know, I would be less grumpy. Yeah, I'm uh, but. The- uh, yeah, I'm very grumpy too. Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to overcome it by making matzo ball soup. You want to stop over for lunch? Yeah, after our conversation, I'll take a ride over. Okay, All right. Thank you. But uh, let's let's uh, let's get into some some stuff. I guess um, I, there's so much to talk with. We only have 25 or so minutes, and I know that's not nearly enough time. But how about? I mean, originally you're from New York City, right? Uh, which borough? Uh, well, you could say that. I, I, I was born and raised in uh, Ozone Park, uh, which is a ghetto. And um, uh, it had no culture that I, that I can remember. Um, you either had to um, belong to a gang or um, be picked on. So I joined the Greeks. And my only uh, artistic endeavor at that time was making zip guns. Uh, so um, a zip gun. What exactly is a zip gun? Well, it's a pipe uh, with a wooden handle that you put a um, twenty-two bullet in the end of the pipe, and if you bang it against the concrete wall, it'll act like a uh, firing pin. And you could shoot and kill someone. Wow. How, <laughs> how how old were you when you were doing this? 
Oh, let's see. How old was I? Um, boy, oh boy. Uh, 12, maybe. 12. Yeah, yeah. And this is back in, in uh, what, what decade are we talking? Oh, oh, this is, uh, we're talking the 50s. So you're, you're not, you didn't uh, shoot anybody, I'd imagine. No, no, no. I just made the guns. I didn't, I didn't use them. <laughs> and and <laughs> good. I didn't think so. Uh, <laughs> but but I was I was uh, somewhat violent, even though I'm a pacifist now. Yeah, I, actually, Larry, I almost killed someone in in one of our gang fights. Uh, uh, this little dude came around and challenged everybody, and when he got to me, I just grabbed a hold of him and I almost choked choked him to death. I mean. If it hadn't been, if there was an EMT there, fortunately, from the other gang, and they saved his life, or else I would still be in jail, probably. Wow. And you were probably a teenager when this happened. Uh, not quite. Not even. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, almost. Twelve years old, maybe. Twelve years old. And was yeah. it, were these gangs based on ethnicity? Or color, or something to that effect? Religion? You know, we were, we were called the Greeks, Larry, but... There wasn't one Greek amongst us. We just thought it was a cool name, and and everybody used the handle LAMF. So I can't repeat what that means on this radio, but uh, uh, you can imagine LAMF. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> uh, you grew up in Scranton, so you didn't use that handle much. But we used it all the time when we when we tagged the uh, buildings and stuff. Uh, that was always on on uh, part of the, you know, Greeks LAMF. And then you moved on to, from there, you, you directed your energy. To, fortunately. <laughs> fortunately. <yeah>. Uh, <laughs> into, into a lot of uh, different uh, areas of yeah. art. But first of all, you, you, you kind of made it somewhat big, relatively speaking, as a minimalist painter, right, in New York? Uh, well, before we get to that, I, I, I want to tell you a story that uh, uh, you, you probably don't know about. So I was... Uh, I was an honor student in grade school, yeah, even though I was in a gang and, you know, all of that was happening. And um, it, it's not because I'm smart. It's because I could memorize, you know, and that was the key to, to being an honor student in, in the grade school anyway. So um, I, I moved on. I, 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 got, uh, I went to a scholarship high school, mind you, yeah, and um, uh, I was in Brooklyn, so I had to travel on a train. I went to Brooklyn, went to this scholarship high school. But, you know, I have a hard time with regimentation, and they had a dress code. You had to wear a suit jacket and a tie. And so I lasted two years. And um, uh, then uh, I went to a public school. And this was actually my first exposure to art. You know, there was no art in the scholarship school. You, you, you would get. They were, they were grooming you for Harvard or Yale. You know, and and uh, I didn't belong there on that on that basis either. <laughs> so, uh, um, so then in the public school, I, I, because it was a scholarship school, I had done all my academic work, so I didn't have to take any any subjects at all. So I, art was offered to me. So, oh boy, let's do this, you know. So, but at that time, Larry, I really, I really had my heart set on being a beatnik. 
You know, I really, oh, I wanted so badly to be a beatnik. So on the weekends, I would always travel to New York, to Greenwich Village, you know, and I would hang out in Washington Square Park because I didn't know anything else about how to be a beatnik. And um, I noticed this guy who played chess that nobody could beat. It was impossible to beat this guy. And I thought I was the only one that understood what he was saying because he talked in different languages at the same time. You know, mm. he would waver from English to French to Spanish, you know. And because I was academically attuned, you know, I had to take these languages. And, and uh, I thought I was the only one that understood him. So when I went back to school... We looked into a art history, you know, a contemporary art history book. And I saw this picture that looked like this guy. And I said, oh, my God, this is that guy in Washington Square Park. So I, I, I borrowed the book. I didn't steal it because I brought it back. I borrowed the book, and uh, I took it to Washington Square Park, and I looked at the book, and I looked at him, and I looked at the book, and I looked at him, and I looked at the book. And lo and behold, it was Marcel Duchamp. Wow. So here, here I am, 14 years old. And, you know, you get crazy things in your head when you're, when you're that age. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of things going on in your life. And I thought, I, I thought so sincerely, if I could beat this guy at chess, I could beat him in art. And I could be on the next page in this book, you know? So, so, so I studied chess. I mean, I was obsessed. I was studying chess by the book. I was studying this guy's moves. And I, I was there every weekend and, and observing him. And he took notice to me, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, I was probably the youngest guy there. I mean, usually guys 14 years old aren't really interested in no. an, old, an old man playing chess. But he wasn't really, uh, you know, he, he was in pretty good shape. So, so uh, uh, finally, one weekend when I went there, Larry, uh, he looked, uh, he, he had beat everybody. I was the only one left standing. And he looked at me and he said, are you ready? <laughs> you know, and, and I almost, my, my knees almost caved in, you know, and I had to say yes, you know, because, uh, <laughs> so I said yes, and I sat down, and Marcel Duchamp beat me in six or seven moves. I mean, he was a genius. <laughs> and, and even all the research I did, I wasn't very good, you know. I mean, he, he spent years, he claimed he gave up art for chess. Wow, I didn't know that. And, and, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, you know, he lays my king down, and he bends over the, you know, they have concrete tables, uh, so you can't steal them in, in Washington Square Park, chess tables. He leans over the table, and he looks right in my face, and he says, You're not very good, <laughs> are you? <laughs> you know? And some people I tell this story to uh, think, Oh, what a, what a crumb he is, you know? But, but it wasn't. I mean, it, it, it made me, uh, you know, really gear up and want to get better at everything. 
you know, especially art. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't think I ever told you that story. No, before. no. What a yeah, compelling yeah. story. That's been. And, and was that the last time you crossed paths with them? I would never go to Washington Square Park and play chess again. <laughs> yeah, that was the last time. No, we weren't friends by any means, you know, but he 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 was incredible. He was incredible. And I don't know if I was the only one that understood what he was saying. You know, this is another 14-year-old fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. But it, but, but it was anyway, it, no, go ahead. No, say but it was hugely impression uh, he was he was a huge impression on you and a and obviously, all these oh, years my. later, you're still thinking about it as a significant point in your life. Oh, my God. Yeah, one of the most... I've been very lucky. I've met some really brilliant people. I met him. I met uh, Peter Schumann. I mean, I, it just the list just got... Wallace, Black Elk, the list goes on and on. I mean, I've been so fortunate in that way. But anyway, he, 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 he impressed me so much that I really wanted to go to Cooper Union, you know, after I got out of high school. And uh, so I had a portfolio. Either they did not understand it at all, because it was influenced by Marcel Duchamp and, and his, uh, you know, that, that's all the research I was doing. I wanted to know more about this guy. I wanted to know why. He, uh, he, he, and, and, you know, he changed the art world completely. I mean, uh, it, it's it's incredible. What it, I mean, performance, installation, everything people are doing now are because of Marcel Duchamp. Found objects, uh, every, absolutely everything people are doing, uh, Marcel Duchamp made made it possible. Yeah. So I wound up going to Pratt, <clears throat> and um, as soon as I graduated from Pratt, I went on the streets to find the gallery. And fortunately, I found the gallery, and lo and behold, it was uh, uh, the same gallery when Christo first came to this country. It was the first gallery he had. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had uh, uh, two two successful exhibits, and um, uh, it went to my head, Larry. I mean, I thought I was God sent to the uh, God, God's gift to the art world. And what were you like? And, twenty years old, twenty-two years old, twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I wasn't that old. No. And, and you're absolutely right. I was too young to to really appreciate what was happening. But I was I was a minimalist. You know, this was a movement at the time, and I was part of the movement. So, uh, you know, as, as I look back in retrospect, I mean, it wasn't very great. I, 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 was, I wasn't original. <laughs> you know? I was just a, a good businessman, actually. And uh, that's, that's why I had a nervous breakdown. I had a nervous breakdown, and I had a Brooklyn Bridge incident that you probably know about. And um, uh, I wound up in Bellevue in a straitjacket in the mental ward. Wow. Uh, and, and my brother Jane came to visit me with a book, which he probably thought was a joke. But it was a book by Helen and Scott Nearing called Living the Good Life. And um, do you know about Helen and Scott Nearing? I They're sure the, do. Uh, back to, back to pi Pioneers of the green movement in the 50s. Exactly. You know, even before us hippies got, got any hold on, on uh, the green movement, they, they, they were there in the 50s. And um, so uh, uh, 
it it it, uh, it, it uh, another I wound up meeting them and um uh but I knew this was my salvation. I I spent some time in the mental ward and and then I was released and of course, you know, I had to go to jail and uh I was on parole, so I knew I knew uh you know what I really needed to do was was search for a simple life you know this this crazy art world life was was just out of the question for me anymore actually i had a i had a really uh look at you know uh combining i i was terrible at combining art as a business and art as a religion so i had to choose between the two and and it had to be art as a religion so so i don't i don't uh I don't see art as a career anymore whatsoever. You know, I just, uh, I make art because I love it and it's the only way of expressing myself. And, so, uh, and you got, then you moved out here to Lakewood. You have a beautiful piece of, of land. Uh, did, did you, was that inherited? Was that some, from some of the money you earned being a success as an artist? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that bought the farm. Um, I did b- break parole once. Don't tell anybody, but I broke parole once to come to uh, Pennsylvania with my um, accountant. I actually had an accountant at the time, <laughs> and uh, he said, "Oh, I have a new client in Pennsylvania. You're always talking about Pennsylvania." I said, "Arthur, what are you talking? I mean, what do you mean? I, I never. I, where is Pennsylvania?" <laughs> and uh, and and he says, uh, okay, I'm sorry, you know, I really want you to join. And I said, why didn't you just say that? Why are you making up this fantasy about how I love Pennsylvania? I mean, that's absurd. I I, I don't know any. So I came up here and I met uh, uh, Angelo Cirillo, who had a farm, and uh, he he uh, we fell in love completely because he was a frustrated artist, and I was what he thought an accomplished artist. So he he. He uh, he really wanted us to move in up here. So so I had Margarita and and Galadriel at the time. So so uh, he moved us all up here. And that was um, your that's your family. Uh, you just mentioned at the time that was your family. Yeah yeah. Galadriel uh, is my daughter, and Margarita was her mother. And um, uh, so so we moved up here. And what he didn't know is that I had a wolf. An actual wolf and a wolf, yes, and uh, and um, you see, he was he was a practical uh, Madison Avenue practical consultant. So at the time, way back then, you could get a tax write-off for having, um, uh, you know, for cattle. So he would give uh, what do you call it? Not stock, but yeah, stock in 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 his. He started a cattle ranch. This is Angelo. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, Angelo Cirillo, and um, yeah. So then, um, so then I was finally finished with parole, and we moved up here. And um, uh, but before that, um, I I uh, turned from painting to sculpture. I, I I had because I couldn't I couldn't break parole and move. Uh, uh, I bought a row of stores uh, in Far Rockaway. I wanted to get as far away from civilization as possible. Mm. <laughs> so I just like the name, Far Rockaway. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> and uh, so, uh, but I turned from painting to sculpture, and my and my gallery didn't didn't uh, try to dissuade me from that because he was doing so well, uh, you know, with the painting, uh, the minimalist painting, you know, and the, and the sculpture was still minimalist, but he he he. He didn't believe that it was uh, the, the right thing for me to do, and he was kind of trying to manage me because I was so young, and um, uh, and uh, it, it it didn't work out, so he dropped me. So uh, that was another reason for us to move. But uh, uh, mostly it was for the simplicity of going back to the land. You know, that's what Helen and Scott Nearing are all about. You know, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. So, um, and you've been and, there ever since. Also, yeah. <laughs> and I also wanted to do earthworks. Earthworks were, were, were coming into uh, vogue. Uh, that's when you use the, the earth as a, as, a, as a medium. Instead of using canvas or paint or whatever, you use the earth. So um, I think, uh, um, and, and, and I actually studied with a geomancer. But anyway, I bought, besides the farm, I bought all this heavy equipment, and uh, I started, uh, I, I didn't have enough property at that time, there's more property now, but I didn't have enough property at that time to do the earthworks here. So I used to con farmers into using their land that that wasn't uh, good for for any kind of farming, even pasture, and and uh, so so I would try and uh, turn that land into an art form, and um, but then in 1982 a tree fell on me. Oh, because because I never took the time, Larry, to learn how to run the equipment, you know, and uh, which was really stupid. I mean, uh, so I was unconscious for three days. In the, in the hospital, not not on the ground. That's what I was wondering, but, if it uh, took three days for someone to find you. <laughs> yeah, so I guess you could call it a coma. And um, uh, so, uh, but then um, uh, I needed to find someone, actually, to, uh, so so this was 1982 when the, when the tree fell on me. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. So three things happened in 1982. They say bad things come in threes and good things come in threes. So the, the three bad things that came in 1982 for me was my, my first studio burnt down to the ground. That had all of my, you know, it had my insurance policy, all, all, all of my work that was that was uh, thirty years worth of work. Oh yeah. That was that was of some kind of value to someone. It wasn't really to me because, you know, I don't respect minimalism anymore that much. You know, I mean, I'm so, I, I'm 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 so joyful that it's not part of my life anymore, really. Uh, uh, and, and so, so that was one, the first thing, I think it was the first thing that happened was the studio burnt down to the ground. And the children's mother said, uh, by this time we had three kids. So, uh, she said she's had it. She doesn't want to be a hippie anymore. Uh, she's going back to a debutante, uh, style. And she says she's, she's getting out of here. So, uh, so, uh, I was left with three kids and um uh 
So, and then the tree fell on me. Wow, that's a heck so, of a year. So, so those, are, those are the three things that happened for, in 1982. Yeah, but then I found Wallace Black Elk. Uh, so he's a, he's a uh, Lakota Sioux shaman, or he was. He's off to the, uh, what, what some people call a happy hunting grounds. Uh, and um, uh, it was, I spent a year with him. My mother, my mother lived here for the year with the kids, and I went off with Wallace Black Elk and traveled with him, and uh, he was an incredible healer, Larry. And um, uh, so uh, uh, we did these uh, ceremonies. And for me, uh, uh, what I learned from Wallace was the significance of ritual or performance to enhance the life of objects. And that's when we first started doing performance that you probably know more about than any of my history <laughs> yes yeah, I do. yeah yeah so so yeah we took everything to the streets i wanted i wanted we wanted to uh yeah so uh you know of course peter schumann also influenced us uh but um uh but at the same time you know with wallace black elk uh, uh sh- showing me this, this that that new significance uh you know it made a lot of sense to me so that's when we uh formed uh Pictures Moved by Strings uh, Puppet Theater. And we traveled up and down the east and the west coast. We never went to Europe. But, uh, yeah. And, and, and also, that's when uh, uh, the activism kicked in, you know, because I was really feeling, you know, that, that what we were doing, and it was all focused on the environment and social justice and uh, s- very, very similar things to uh, Bread and Puppet Theater. Peter right, Schumann. Peter Schumann. Uh, right? yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, it it uh, that, that 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 that's what turned us into uh, puppeteers and and um, uh, performing artists. And um, uh, I still make uh, art objects, and and uh, I can't get away from them. I try to find a clinic that would. Uh, you know, help me uh, uh, not do that anymore because. Uh, <laughs> but but lately, um, so so it turned around that we uh, decided be, we didn't want to travel as much. We're getting older, so um, uh, you know we we decided you know a once a year festival here on the farm would be great. So we that's when we invented the uh, mud bowl festival. When you say uh, we, who's part of the we? Well, it's majorly uh, um, uh, Trudy and I, my, uh, and and uh, I think you re- you interviewed her a couple of weeks ago. We did. What a great conversation we had with Trudy. Gillick. Oh, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. Could I get a hold of that uh, uh, to listen to it? It cost you a couple bucks, but yeah, I think we can work something out. <laughs> you rascal! <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a loaf of bread. Maybe a loaf of bread. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that brings us up to date, I guess, huh? And you did it in 26 minutes and 40 seconds. You know the time limit we have here. So, I'm perfect. You are you're really are a true oh professional. God. You really are a true professional. John Bromberg and Troubadours and Rock on Tours. That's but amazing. It is. I, I, don't have a, I don't keep time, you know. I never had a watch, and I don't have a... I, I have a clock, but I'm not in the room with the clock. So, I had no idea how much time we were spending... Yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Oh, it is. I'm very <laughs> impressed, but not I surprised. Th- I, thought we, I thought we would have to do part two, you know? I mean... <laughs> we will have to do part two. We're just scratching wonderful. the surface. Wonderful, wonderful. I'd yeah, like to have I'm you on. for it. I would love to have you on and again and again and again. But just, I'm going to give you a, if, a couple more minutes just to maybe share with the listeners what, in a nutshell, you're, you're hoping to, to reach or accomplish or... or, or communicate through what you do oh we have a simple vision larry we just want to change the world that's all that's all very simple yeah into what huh change it into what into something sustainable you know the way we're going now is, is so unsustainable and um you know the women's movement doesn't even refer they they, they refer to uh the the uh, current occupant of the White House, and uh, I love that. Me too. You know, they 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 don't even want to say his name, which is perfect. You know, the current occupant of the White House. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's dreadful. What's happening? What's happening to our country and to the world? Actually, you know, I mean, climate change is real. I mean, science is right. You know, I mean, it's it's all so obvious to me, uh, but uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not in the White House, you know. So um, and um, no, you're in the you're in the puppet chapel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do have a puppet chapel. So I love that's, that. that's where that's a beautiful structure. That's where, that's where I feel safe in the puppet chapel. Well, yeah. hopefully we see you soon, uh, maybe at the Mudball Festival. And, uh, yeah, we will have a part two. I'd love to talk with you again. Yeah, yeah. So the Mudball Festival, I don't know if you know it or not, but, but uh, Boris has taken over the Mudball Festival. Yes. So uh, last year was the first time it re- worked out really well. I mean, he had a throat singer there from Georgia who, who worked with a rock group. I mean, it was totally incredible, and so many other things. So this year he's going to he's going to do it again, and we're actually we have an eight foot diameter mud ball that we're going to float down the Delaware River, and it's going to go under the bridge from uh, Equinox to Lordville, go under that bridge, and then his Russian uh, counterparts comrades are going to uh, capture it and bring it into the shore so people can cover it with mud once again, because by the time it gets there there'll be no more mud on it. So uh, I'm really excited uh, that that he he took it over because we don't have that uh, 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 part, you know. We don't have a water thing here, and uh, even though we've done many water ballets, uh, we've never uh, had had it right here on the farm. So I'm ready again. We're ready again for some uh, water activity. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, we're we're out of time, but I, if I want to, I need to know what does the mud ball represent? You make the mud ball. That's uh, that's uh, your sculpture, your art. What does that represent? 
Well, this goes all the way back. What do you mean we're out of time? We're still talking. I know, but I, you know, I, you know, you're you're only out of time, Larry, when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. So, so, so don't lay that on me. Yeah. So, so it it it, it all originated in um, 90, 1992, I think, when uh, the the city of Wilkesbury commissioned us to do an event. See, we were, we were considered uh, event makers to create an event that would um, commemorate the flood of, of 1972. So when we researched, we found out, you know, that the water was one thing. You know, that was terrible. But it, was, it subsided in three days. And then they were left with the mud. So coming away from Wallace Black Elk and learning that, yeah, that to make a ritual object to, to um, uh, you know, cr- cr- create peace again, we decided to make this mud ball. So that's, that, that was our first mud ball that we made. So now we use it uh, all, all the time. It's, it's just the, um, it, it, it's, it's a simple element that brings peace to, to, to our little part of the world. This this mud ball. So so in, in in our festival in our pageant, you know, we have great chaos in in the, in the amphitheater, the natural amphitheater we have in the back, and and uh, there's great chaos. You know, there's just like there is in the world currently, and uh, you know, then the mud ball comes over the, over the hill as the sun is setting behind it, and and uh, it 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 it's. It, it, so and then and then it's presented to the um, to, to to the guests who are in the, on on the bleachers and 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 they coat it every year with mud, but then one year uh, we left it out uh, and it got rained on and we lost that mud ball so we had to make a new one so uh, but it's still now we have a waterproof mud ball so that's why we can float it down to Delaware. But, uh, you know, people put mud on it two years ago. I know it's going to lose that mud, but it'll still have the under underpinnings of an of a, uh, eight-foot diameter sphere. I hope you got the permits. <laughs> See, that's what we need is a practical consultant like you. <laughs> Larry, I just have to say... I am so honored that you did this because I so much respect your vision. And uh, you, you, you started the Diversity Festival in, in Scranton, I'm sure. Yes. And uh, uh, that was such... Is it still going on? Nope, it's not. Oh, oh, because uh, you, 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 you let it go? Yeah, I got it. You know, my family started getting uh, bigger and oh, I was wow. doing a lot of it myself. Oh. You know how that works. Oh, Oh well, please, Larry, bring it back. You give me a hand, that and I will. A, you give me a hand. That maybe was a I will. jewel. That was an absolute jewel. That was that was one of one of my high points in in uh, in the Scranton area. I used to do the parade. Yeah. Just kick it off. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All well, right, Larry. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. The the mud bowl. Uh, <laughs> no, the matzo bowl soup. <laughs> <laughs> it's ready. It's ready. I'll, I'll be over in 15 minutes. Okay, great. <laughs> Take care, Larry. Take care. Boy, boy, cool.
crazy boy. Get cool, boy. Got a rocket in your pocket. Keep coolly cool, boy. Don't get hot, cause man, you've got some high times ahead. Take it slow, and daddy-o, you can live it up and die in bed. Boy, boy, crazy boy, stay loose, boy. Breeze it, buzz it, easy does it. Turn off the juice, boy. Go, man, go, but not like a yo-yo schoolboy. Just play it cool, boy, real cool. Easy action. Cool it, Arab. Cool it. Cool it. <laughs> at Bar, performed by Marnie Azzarelli. Recorded at the Old Brick Theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania, courtesy of Diva Productions. Hi. Um, I'm doing okay. How about you? Good, good. I'll have a vodka and tonic. Thanks. No, it's my first time here. Nice place. Well, I'm waiting for a date. Can you tell? <laughs> you must get a lot of first dates here. I'll bet. Yeah, they're all dressed up, nervous, trying not to drink too much, checking their phones, waiting, checking their phones, seeing their dates walk into the bar, 
happy surprise or disappointment in their faces. Sharing their surprise, concealing their disappointment. Introduction, excruciating small talk. Awkward pauses, maybe a saving laugh. Did I laugh too loudly, one of them wonders? Should we have another round? Sure, why not? We're just getting to know one another, aren't we? Having a good time, aren't we? One of us, maybe. Or both of us, or neither of us. It's getting late, but not really. One of us wants to bolt. Better luck next time. I'll call you or text you tomorrow or next week. Soon. Sure. Or maybe they actually like one another. What are the odds? They really will call another and talk and text and meet again. Who knows? Anything can happen, right? Yeah, right. Pretty accurate, huh? Thanks. I've had a bit of practice. Well, there was Andy, a guy from Match. He made a good case for himself in texts and emails. Funny and interesting, quirky. Graphic artist, I think. But I never actually talked to him over the phone, you know, in, in semi-person before we met. Big mistake. In person, he turned out to be a drip. A drip? You know, dull. No personality. My aunt used to say that about guys. He's sort of a drip, she'd say. Then she'd sigh. She met a lot of drips. Anyway, Andy just sat there like a lump, staring at me. He drank water, no ice, and stared at me. It was murder trying to get a word out of him, like, like pulling teeth. That's a funny expression, isn't it? Pulling teeth? Kind of brutal when you think about it. So I talked and talked and talked, and he stared and stared and stared. I was beginning to think he didn't write the text and emails. Maybe he had a friend write them for him. You know, like Cyrano. With a nose. Forget it. I was thinking about asking him, like, why are you such a drip in person? But I just gave up. Said thanks, it's been swell, and then, of course, never saw him again. Then I met another guy, Phil. I hooked up with him through Zusk. Yeah, another dating site. And he was the complete opposite. Never shut up, never stopped talking about himself. He was in sales, of course, and he kept going on about what a great salesman he was and the great car he just bought and the great vacation he just took and on and on and on. Great, great, great. My face was numb from fake smiling and my head hurt from nodding. I don't think he asked me one question about me. I could have been a cardboard cutout or, or one of those things you stick your face in at carnivals. Well, you know, like you and your date are in a western scene or clowns or something. You, you stick your faces in the holes. Yeah, those things. Anyway, that was Phil. Went home and collapsed after that one and swore I wouldn't do online dating again. So, then I made my biggest mistake. I saw a guy from work, Roger. We'd talk at work on breaks, and every now and then we'd go to lunch with a group of our co-workers at a Chinese buffet. He always did this gag with those tiny ears of corn. Every time, and it was funny every time. Cracked everyone up. He was funny and, and seemed like a nice guy. He asked me out, and we decided to go to a movie. I forget which one. It was crap. So we have a couple of drinks after the show. Nice time. We really got along. So he's dropping me off in front of my apartment, and it's that awkward time of saying goodnight. I figured I'd give him a kiss, and I was about to, to say what a good time I had, and he lunged at me. He grabs my boobs, and I yell, Roger, stop that! I shook myself loose and got the hell out of the car. 
The next day, he comes up to my desk at work, and he's all sheepish, and I'm still angry and annoyed and disappointed. He seemed like such a nice guy. He starts sort of apologizing, but when I don't respond the way he wants me to, he gets angry. He goes back to his desk and sends me a really nasty email. I don't email back and try to avoid him after that. It was a rough couple of weeks. He'd walk by my desk every day, glare at me, and then send me another nasty email. Neither of us went to the Chinese buffet. I was debating whether or not to go to HR when someone saw him watching porn on his computer, ratted him out, and he was gone that day. He stopped emailing me. So long, Roger. Happy ending. (sighs) Yeah, right. And here I am again. Oh, well. Hope springs eternal. Oh, here he comes. Wish me luck. Hi. All I can ever be to you is the darkness that we know And this regret I got accustomed to Once it was the ride, when we were at our height Waiting for you in the hotel at night I knew I had him at my match, but every moment we could snatch I don't know why I got so attached It's my responsibility you don't own nothing to me But to walk away I have no capacity He walks away The sun goes down He takes the day But I'm grown And in your way In this blue shade My tears dry on their own I don't understand Why do I stress the man When there's so many bigger things at hand we could have never had it all We had to hit a wall So this is inevitable withdrawal Even if I stop wanting you That perspective pushes true I'll be some next man's other woman So I can't play myself again I should just be my own best friend I fuck myself in the head with Stupid man He walks away The sun goes down
power, sleek lines and tallness, beautiful curves and big almond-shaped eyes, light brown skin and chestnut-purple hair. Hmm. Some loving early in the morning I just woke up with this appetite Come on, give me love in the morning light Give me some loving early in the morning I just woke up with this appetite Come on, give me love in the morning light Like it in the afternoon I don't think that I can wait that soon Come on, give me love in the morning light Some people like it in late at night I could wait that long, but I don't think I might Come on, give me love in the morning light Soft and love you sweet I could feel your heart beat Need your attention To get me started right I'm gonna wake you up With a kiss on the cheek Come a little closer Open up to me Good morning baby Good morning baby Open your eyes Just a little bit Good morning sunshine I can't resist Dreaming about you baby All through the night Have it, episode 320 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. The great John Bromberg, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, actress and playwright Marnie Azzarelli, and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, The Violent Femmes, Tracy Chapman, the creators and cast of the original West Side Story, Amy Winehouse, G. Love and Special Sauce, of course, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Take care. <laughs>